in Matthew chapter 6 today, we're continuing this series on prayer, asking Jesus to teach us to pray. And so if you've got a Bible, turn there. Uh, we'll read together verses 5 to 13 this morning. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me um, as we read it together and taking a look at this prayer petition that Jesus instructs us to pray. The text picks up in verse 5 saying, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We find this passage recorded as well in Luke chapter 11. And in that particular text, whenever Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in this fashion, it's in response to their request when they find him in prayer and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, when the disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach them to pray, they're not saying, Jesus, we have no idea how to pray. These were very religious men who had grown up in a very religious culture uh, in, the, in, the, in, in, in Judaism. So they knew what it was to pray. But when they come to Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. They had been with Jesus and walked with Jesus and eaten with Jesus and traveled with Jesus and listened to him teach. And they'd heard him pray. And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. We want to have the same kind of intimacy and awe with the Father that you have before Him. We want to have the same kind of relationship and partnership with God that you have. So teach us to pray like you pray, Jesus. And the fact that Jesus responds with these words is incredibly encouraging to me and should be to you as well because what it means is this, is that you can actually grow in this kind of prayer life. You can actually grow in this kind of life of prayer that has relationship with God and partnership with God, that experiences intimacy with the Father and all before Him because of who He is. You can actually grow in that kind of a prayer life. Now let me say at the outset, listen, I, of this message, I am not a tour guide on this journey with you, okay? It's not like I'm stopping every once in a while, pointing out a few things and saying, listen, this is what I've mastered, I want to show it to you. Rather, I'm a fellow traveler alongside of you. I struggle through prayer just as much as many of you do in the room as well from day to day, sometimes from week to week. I kind of binge on prayer every once in a while. Anybody binge on prayer? Like you do really well for about three weeks and just in God's presence and offering up your petitions, offering up adoration, offer, confessing sin, working through the things that God, Jesus has taught us to pray and you got binge on it for three weeks and all of a sudden you miss a few days and you're just like, like off the wagon. Right? Any, anybody else can... Re no, just me. Okay. So, listen, this, I'm not an expert. I'm not a tour guide. I'm a fellow traveler with you. But Jesus gives us great encouragement by teaching us how to pray, how to experience this kind of intimacy and all with the Father. Before we get into this particular prayer that we're going to look at this morning, I want to give you two just general observations about prayer before we move into the text. And it's this. Is if we're going to grow in prayer, first of all, you have to recognize that privilege of prayer. That prayer is a privilege. 
See, when many of us look at prayer, we think about prayer, we oftentimes think about kind of like drive-by guilting, right? That I just feel really bad because I don't pray enough and it's my duty to pray and I should pray more than I do pray. But if you're ever going to grow in prayer, you've got to get rid of that perspective and adopt the perspective that prayer is not just a duty, but it's a privilege. It's a privilege that was won for you by Jesus through his perfect sinless life and his substitutionary and sacrificial death at the cross. That he won the privilege of relationship with God for you. That he, had set a, he, he, he fulfilled all the law in your place. Right? And he took upon himself the very wrath of God that he was judged and sentenced and executed for us, that we might know fellowship and relationship and intimacy and all with the Father. It is a privilege to be able to come into the Father's presence. See, prayer is this triune relationship with this triune God that we're praying to the Father because Jesus has paved the path for that by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, where he's seated at the right hand, even now interceding for us. He's paved the path for us. It's a privilege to pray. And the Holy Spirit is prompting us to pray. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, for many of us in the room, is prompting us to pray and trying to persuade us that God actually wants to hear from you. It's a part of His ministry. Of saying, yes, you. God wants to hear from you. Like, He's opened the door. Jesus has paved the path Go on in. So that you might do exactly what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, We then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. The Holy Spirit's trying to persuade you of that. Jesus has paved the path for that so that you can have intimacy and all in prayer with the Father. It's a privilege, church. It's not just a duty. And so long as you think of it as a duty, it's always going to be something that you've got to check off of your box, your list. You'll never really grow and flourish in it until you begin to see it as this privilege that was won for you by the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit is trying to persuade you and prompt you to move forward in confidence to come into God's presence in prayer. But second of all, not only do we have to recognize the privilege of it, but follow Jesus' pattern for it. Listen, when I was, I was in high school, um, I began to run cross-country, uh, which is torture, okay? It's basically pure torture. That's what it is. Um, I, had, I was born by, gifted with some natural endurance, and so in the physical fitness test in PE, um, I'd often just kind of strap on my shoes, get out there on the track, and I'd be the first or second one in my PE class finishing the mile, right? During that grueling mile, everybody had to run during P, your physical fitness test. Right, and I'd finish in like six and a half minutes. And so I, I came across the line one day and the cross-country coach tapped me on the shoulder who had to be my PE coach and said, you need to come out for the cross-country team. The first year I was like, Psh, no. Second year I began to consider it because I had a friend who was inviting me to participate in it as well. So I, I, I finally just bit the bullet and, and took the plunge and went out for the cross-country team. And I began, as I began to run... The very first workout that I ran was a four-mile run. I joined the team three weeks into the season, four miles on a Tuesday afternoon. It was hot, South Louisiana, humid, nasty, muggy. Felt like I was running in a sauna, right? And so we finished that four miles, and I'm just, I'm, I'm gassed, right? I'm just drenched in sweat. I'm panting like a dog, right? Just, <laughs> like, just that dry cotton mouth feeling, 
right? It's just n- nasty. And I finished second to last out of all the people on the team. But there was one guy behind me, so I took heart. <laughs> Not that I'm comparing. Second day, we went out and hit another workout. Third day, we went out and hit another workout. Fourth day, we went out and hit another workout. And day after day, week after week, as we hit all of these workouts, by the end of the season, I finished all district, 10th in the district. Right? By the end of my senior year, I finished second in district, top 10% in the state. Right? By the end of my senior year, I ran a four and a half minute mile on the track and I was averaging five and a half minutes over three miles. But how, how you, I look back on that and I go, listen, don't ask me to go run that today because I can't. I'm just going to go ahead and just fess up to it. Um, I've put on many pounds since then. But what, what made the difference for me over, from the time, uh, my, the three weeks into the cross-country season of my sophomore year and the end of my senior year was this. Is that every day I just got up and did the workouts the coach gave us to do. I did the long-distance workouts and built endurance. I did the speed workouts on the track and built quick muscle fibers and speed. I did the pace workouts, running at race pace. I did the beach workouts to simulate hills because in South Louisiana, there are none. It's just flat. I did the weight training. All these workouts, I just got up every day and I did the workouts the coach gave us to do. And listen, Jesus, when the apostles come and the disciples come and say, teach us to pray, He gives them a pattern for prayer. He gives us workouts to do on a daily basis. And so for some of us, they think, like, I can never pray. I can never have this intimate prayer life with God. A part of it's because we've failed to get up and do the workouts the coach has given us to do. He's given us a pattern for prayer in the scriptures and that if we will just take that pattern and begin to implement it in our lives, then our prayer life will grow. We'll grow stronger in prayer, right? Listen, many of you who, many of you who have, have aimed at fitness as a goal in your life, right? you know that half of the battle, in fact, 80% of the battle is just getting there, right? Just getting up, not hitting snooze one more time and getting to the gym or getting to the track or getting to the course or wherever. It's just, it's just getting there. And listen, the same is true in prayer, that we would carve out time and follow Jesus' pattern for prayer and drawing away with the Father and praying through the workouts that He gives us, then we would grow and be stronger in our prayer life. It would feel like there's intimacy with God. It would feel like there's an awe before God. There would be a relationship with God and a partnership with Him as we see Him fulfilling His mission in the world through us and around us. We'd be awakened to some of those things if we'd follow Jesus' pattern for prayer. And one of the parts of the pattern that Jesus gives us is in Matthew 6, 11, when he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Teaches us to pray for our daily needs. Now listen, here's Jesus who in John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. If any man would come to me, he shall not hunger. This Jesus who is bread... Bread to fill all of our hungers, to satisfy all of our desires, to meet us in the places of our longing. This Jesus, if we would come to Him in faith and experience His grace, the grace of the Father shown to us through the Son, if we would come to Him, this Jesus who is bread says, ask God for your daily bread. Because you have this relationship now with the Father. If you've come to Him through the Son, 
And if the Holy Spirit is within you, prompting you to pray, persuading you to pray, to put your feet on that path and follow that pattern, then here's what, is, what Jesus is saying. God wants to hear from you. God desires and longs to fulfill your needs. So ask Him. He's met your deepest need in the person of Christ, reconciliation with Himself. So why would He withhold anything else that you need? So go ahead and ask Him. Like this is what this prayer petition is about. It's asking God to meet your needs. Asking God to meet your needs. Listen, when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, He's teaching us to rely on God for things that we need on a daily basis. Our daily needs. Now listen, let me just go ahead and, and give you a contrast here. A, a, a widow, a single mother who is a widow in sub-Saharan Africa prays this prayer differently than a young mother in fate Texas. That's reality. They pray this prayer differently, but it does not mean that one needs to pray the prayer and the other does not. Are you with me? Let me, let me tell you what, what Jesus is getting at here. Like, obviously, we don't live in an agrarian society where we're daily working the fields and livestock for our food. If you do, I'd like to meet you afterwards and come see your operation, right? But most of us do not live that kind of lifestyle where we're working the fields for our daily bread. Most of us in this room, we work jobs that provide our income and we get paid either weekly, we get paid bi-weekly, we get paid monthly. Some of us get paid quarterly through commission checks that are cut and cashed. We get paid, we earn income and it goes into a bank account or a checking account out of which we swipe a debit card at a grocery store to purchase food to fill our refrigerators and stockpile our pantries weekly or monthly depending on how frequently you shop. Right? That's how most of us acquire our daily bread. And yet I want you to consider something that when Jesus teaches us to pray, I don't think he's talking about, when he teaches us to pray, pray for you, give us this day our daily bread. He's not telling us anything about the manner in which you receive that or how it is that you go about uh, working the fields or working a job, how it is that you receive that. Whatever Jesus is, is teaching us, that we need daily dependence and awareness of daily dependence upon God for all things that we need in our life. There needs to be a recognition of that. That of, of a daily conscious awareness of dependence upon God rather than independence from Him. But the way many of us pray, give us this day, it's more like give us this week our weekly bread or give us this month our monthly bread or give us this year our yearly bread. But that's not what Jesus teaches us to pray because He doesn't think that... Look, here's the reality, church. What Jesus is aiming to cultivate in your life is an awareness that every single day, everything that you need is ultimately coming from Him. It comes from Him. That's the kind of awareness He wants to cultivate in your life. Whether you grow food in a field or you purchase it off of a shelf. That every single day, everything that you need is a gift from God's hands. And that He who has met your deepest need 
in the person of his son, why would he not also fulfill all of these lesser needs in your life? So ask him to. This is what God was teaching the people about this daily dependence through the exodus and their wanderings through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, after God delivers his people from Egypt and he's leading them toward the promised land and they're working their way through the wilderness, they get, they get hungry and they begin to grumble. And so what does God do? He rains down out of heaven every morning this, what is it? Right? That's literally what the word manna meant. What is it? We have no idea what this stuff is, but it's flaky bread-like substance that shows up on the ground every single morning. God giving his people their daily bread. And so the people are like, can't we get a little bit of steak with that as well? You know, I mean, it's some, some sides. But God was providing their needs, right? Daily necessities, not necessarily luxuries, but necessities. And yet through the process, the people would try to, there was one point where the people tried to leave some over to the next day, like, man, we're not sure if it's going to show up tomorrow. And when they woke up in the morning, it was spoiled growing worms in Exodus chapter 16, which teaches us this, that the life of faith is a life of daily, not weekly dependence on God, but daily dependence on God to show up and to meet needs as they arise, as they exist in your life. The book of Joshua tells us that once they moved into the promised land, they began to grow crops and produce and harvest that, that the manna stopped falling from heaven. They began to eat the produce. They began to eat the crops of the land. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses' farewell sermon, right? Many of you think I preached for a long time. Look, Moses had me beat hands down, okay? But in his farewell sermon to the people, before they go into the promised land, he says, listen, whenever you go into the land, you begin to plant vineyards, you begin to build houses, you begin to acquire for yourselves wealth, and things begin to multiply for you, and you begin to find some stability, you begin to find some security there in the land that God has promised to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, do not get proud or haughty, saying in your hearts, the, pow like the power for all of this has come from our hands. He says, but do not forget to remember. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that you may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. The skill sets that you have, the abilities that you have, the, the intellect that you have, the strength that you have, ultimately all comes from God as a gift of His hand that you might employ it in labor to acquire for yourselves resources that you need in order to have your needs addressed. But it's coming from God. It's coming from God. It's not from you. Are you, are you with me? Right? Everything that you need every day of your life, Jesus says, is coming from the hand of God. That's why he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now some, for those of us who, all of us, not those of us, it's not like we have folks who, folks who live in third world countries in this room this morning. But for those, those of us, all of us who live in the kind of cultural context in which we live. Listen, I want you to know something, that this petition for daily bread, it can, it's also about more than just physical provision. See, how many of you 
or going through it, have been through difficult seasons or going through one right now and you're like, man, I pray every week for endurance. Jesus would say, pray every day for God's sustaining grace in your life to endure the hardship and trial that you're facing. Sometimes it's praying for endurance on a daily basis. Sometimes the bread that we need, what we really need is wisdom. In fact, the Bible says in James that if you lack wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God for it who freely supplies it to any who has need. Sometimes your need is wisdom and discernment to make a decision and set a direction or a trajectory. Sometimes it's endurance. Sometimes it's wisdom. Sometimes it's power to overcome sin in your life. Sometimes it's healing. Maybe it's emotional healing for the wounds of your heart that have been gaping because of ways you've been sinned against in your life. Sometimes it might even be physical healing that you're crying out to God on a daily basis, bringing your petition up to Him, saying, God, would you heal me? If God who has met your deepest need in His Son If he's met that deepest need of reconciliation with himself, he will also meet all of the lesser needs in your life. So ask him. I'm just trying to persuade you to ask him. And the Holy Spirit's trying to persuade you to ask him. I'm afraid that for some of us, there are things that we have forfeited in our lives because we have failed to ask. In fact, James says it as well. He says in James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Why do you fight and quarrel? Why is there all this tension and strife in your relationships? He says, Because you want what somebody else has and you try to fight with them to get it. He says, You have not because you ask not. See, some of us, there are things in our lives that we have forfeited. There are spiritual fruit in our lives that we have forfeited. There is physical provision in our lives that we have forfeited because we have failed to ask to bring our needs to Him. And for some of us, maybe because we're not fully persuaded He really wants to hear from us. Why would God take interest in me? And for some of us, it might be because we are a little too proud thinking that God is obligated to take interest in me. And we're asking, as James says, to take what we receive and spend it on our own passions. Either way, though, the Holy Spirit is trying to persuade you, bring your needs to Him, bring your needs to Him, bring your needs to Him. So how do we do that? In the time that we have left, I want to give you three ways to pray this prayer of petition, that God would show up and he would meet your needs. And the first one is this, is to pray this prayer of petition with perspective. With perspective. Listen, look at the pattern that Jesus sets forth for prayer. Now, I want you to remember something. This is not an equation, okay? There's a difference between an equation and a pattern. Listen, I... Some of our math teachers aren't here. Well, we've got one here this morning. Some of them, others are not here. Um, so forgive me um, but at the outset. But listen, I, algebra was not my thing, man. When they started adding letters to numbers, it was like, I am lost, right? To try and solve equations, to get a particular answer on the board. I'm just like, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me in class. Right? It took me two semesters to get through college algebra, which was a requirement of basic to actually get through it. First semester, it was like, fail. Second semester, a D. 
yes, I made it. I got through. Right, so math is not my thing. If you want me to tutor your kid in math, I can make it up to about second grade. At that point, you need someone with more skills. Okay? But I remember having to solve these equations, and if you got one letter or one number out of place, it just, you didn't get the right answer. That's not what Jesus is giving us here. He's not giving us an equation. But He is, listen church, giving us a pattern for prayer. He's not saying the equation is adoration, submission, petition. If you don't move through that order in that sequence, every single time, God will turn His ear from you and not hear your prayers. That's not what He's saying. He's not giving you an equation to be solved, but a pattern to be followed. Right? It's not that God will not, it's not that you can't come to God in your desperation, in your need, and on your knees before Him and cry out, God, here's my need. I need you to show up strong and mighty in my life without first going through adoration and without first going through submission. That's not what He's saying, but what He is saying is this. There's a pattern to this, and here's why the pattern is important. Because pattern teaches us that we just cannot day after day after day after day after day rush into God's presence with our list of requests without first having our lives recentered around the priorities and purposes and person of God. Listen, my wife and I bought our first home 16 years ago in Rowlett. We had a lot of secondhand stuff, right? We still have some secondhand stuff. Okay, but we had a lot of secondhand stuff then, and one of the secondhand items that was given to us—it might even be in the third or fourth hand, not really sure—was a washing machine. And that washing machine had a little mind of its own, right? It had a hard time staying balanced, right? So we put it in the utility room, man, and we would turn on a load, and every once in, and, you know, it would go through the cycles, and when it hit the spin cycle. All the clothes would end up on one side of the can, one side of the basket. And it would start just kind of wobbling. And then as it got faster and faster in that spin cycle, it started rumbling. Okay? It sounded like the launching pad at Cape Canaveral. Something's about to take off through the second story of our home and make it into orbit. And so you'd have to go in, turn the machine off, recenter the laundry around, turn it back on, get it to spin, walk, kind of getting all that water out before you threw it in the dryer. Right? You had to recenter the load, the laundry in the, in the basket in order for the machine to function properly. And listen, so often our lives get unbalanced, they get uncentered, they get centered around things that are not appropriate centers for them. They cannot keep us in balance. And listen, the reason Jesus gives us this pattern for prayer, first, hallowing the name of God. That God, my desire is that your name and your renown and your honor will be first placed in my life and first place in this land in which I live. That I want to see you honored. I want your reputation to be high and exalted above all other names, above all other reputations. I want your name to matter most. And as a result, Jesus, Father, your kingdom come. Right? Have your way in my life. Rule and reign, me for my, reign over me for my good and for your glory. Bend, soften my will into yours. Bend my will into yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
the reason Jesus gives us that pattern is because without going through those first two, we might be bringing these very uncentered, very unbalanced requests before God. And yet whenever we recenter our lives around Him, around His name and reputation, around His kingdom, and around His will, what you will find, church, is this, is that oftentimes the very requests that you're bringing before God change. And you're not praying for the same things anymore. But you're praying for things different than what you were praying for or you're praying for those things now differently. So you've got to pray with perspective. That's why Jesus gives us the pattern. Again, it's not an equation, but it's a pattern to shape your life around the purposes and priorities and person of God that He would keep you grounded, that He would keep you centered in the way that you approach Him and the things that you're bringing to Him and the petitions you're bringing before Him. But second of all, you've got to pray it with confidence. You need to pray with confidence. And listen, church, the way to pray with confidence before the Father is this. Let me give it to you. It's, it's, it's not real profound, but it's really hard. Right? The way to pray with confidence in your prayer life is to settle in your heart beforehand that the Father knows what you do and what you don't need before you even bring the request to Him. Settle that in your heart before you even approach Him. That He is a good and knowledgeable Father who knows what I do and what I don't need before I even bring it to Him. In in Matthew chapter 6, in the text that we just read, in verses 7 and 8, it says, And when you pray, Jesus says, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus says you don't have to kind of work yourself up to impressing God with your eloquence or with your long-winded prayers. With a bunch of empty phrases in words. He says, rather a few words will work when you're certain that your Father is intimately acquainted with your needs and your situation and that He is disposed or inclined to meet you in that need. And He knows exactly what you do and exactly what you don't need before you ever open your mouth and bring your petition before Him. Because His knowledge is different than our knowledge, isn't it? Ours is limited His is exhaustive. It's unlimited. He is omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows every contingency. Right? He knows everything that has happened, everything that is happening, everything that would happen if you went this way, this way, or this way. He knows knows all things. He's not limited by our finite perspective. So He has a perspective on everything that we do not have. And what this means, church, is this, is that Let me see if I can say this correctly. (laughs) What this means is this. Is that even when you think you... mm, Even when you think you know what you need, He knows what you actually need. Do you believe that? Even when you think you know what you need in your life, in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your family, in the life of your spouse... Even when you think you know what you need, He is intimately acquainted with the situation and He knows everything that is going on, every contingency and everything that you need and everything that they need whenever you're asking for someone else. 
And listen, whether this truth is comforting for you or it's frustrating for you, because I always want to strong arm God into doing what we want him to do in our timing. And whether this truth is comforting for you or frustrating for you is the difference between whether or not you have a real relationship with a real heavenly father. If you're frustrated because it seems like God is shutting things down, shutting things up in your life. If you're frustrated by that rather than comforted by that at times. It may be because you don't have a real relationship with a real father, but you have a relationship with a heavenly robot or a vending machine that you pull the lever on and expect him to dispense whatever it is whenever you desire. That's just not the way that prayer works. Even though prayer is indeed powerful and God invites us to ask big things of him. I love the old John Newton hymn, Thou Art Coming to a King. In that song, he says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. He invites you to ask big things because he's indeed a big God. And you're to pray with confidence that, listen, here's the catch. You're to pray with confidence that God will answer and give you whatever you ask for. Or... He will give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. He will either give you everything that you asked for or everything you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. If your mind was unlimited like His mind. And so you can pray with confidence that he's going to meet you in your need and he's going to meet you not with a serpent but with a fish and he's going to meet you not with a stone but with bread. So pray with confidence, church. And then thirdly and finally, pray with humility. With humility. You see, when we bring our petitions before God because of Jesus, we are sure that he hears them, that his ear is turned towards them. If we are in Christ, but it is terrifying. Listen, I don't know about if you feel this way, but I'll go ahead and give a witness. It would be terrifying for me to think about where my life would be if God had given me everything I ever asked Him for. I'm terrified to think about where I would be. If every prayer I brought to Him, He just dispensed and gave it to me. So we need to learn to pray with confidence that God will answer, but with the humility to know that His answer is going to be a good one. And here's why. Because God, you know what He's done? He's baby-proofed prayer. <laughs> okay? See, some of us have little, little ones in our homes right now. We're about to have little ones in our homes pretty soon. Right? We've got infants. And those infants, you know what they do? They grow up. And they, 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 you know, you're just waiting from the time that they're just lying there in a crib or lying there on a blanket on the floor. You're like, I wish they could do something. I just get to look at them. Right? And so eventually, though, they kind of turn over. And you're like, oh my gosh, they rolled over. Right? They move from their belly to their back and their back to their belly. And then after they, they roll over, right, like a, like a dog, after they roll over, right, then they kind of push up. Right? They begin to gain strength in their arms and they push up. And after they push up, they begin to, what, crawl different places throughout the house. And now it, your life is over. Right? <laughs> the thing that you were waiting for, right, has now just brought so much chaos into your life. 
And then once they begin to crawl from places, they begin to pull up on furniture, on, on you. I was standing back there earlier, and Ezra John was pulling up on my pants legs as before the service, just kind of hanging out there, checking everything out. Right? They begin to pull up, and then they begin to explore, and they begin to grab things, don't they? And you know if you've got a toddler in your home, or about to have a toddler in your home, or recently had a toddler in your home, you had to baby-proof your home. Right? You had to take little plastic covers and shove them into your outlets. Right? You had to put gates at the stairwells, right, so they couldn't tumble down the stairs. You had to baby-proof your home. Why? Because the, the toddler doesn't recognize the full power at their fingertips whenever they're poking at that electrical outlet, do they? They have no clue that if they stick a paper clip or a clothespin or a hairpin or a fork or anything else in that outlet, there's power coming out of that thing. And so we stick covers over them to keep our kids from being injured. And listen, God has done the same in prayer. He's baby-proofed prayer. Which means that prayer is not like rubbing a genie's lamp and out pops the genie and you get three wishes. Right? How terrifying would it be to give a genie in a bottle to a four-year-old? Think of the things they would ask for, right? Or a 14-year-old. That might be more terrifying. (laughs) But listen, you know what's even more terrifying? A 40-year-old. See, so often we think that as we mature and grow, that, you know, a four-year-old, man, that's unfathomable. 14-year-old, I can't believe. 24-year-old, oh my goodness, but you know what? At 30, I thought I knew everything that was best for me. At 35, I thought, well, at 30, I didn't know anything. At 35, I know it all now. <laughs> now at 40, I think, I don't know, have a clue. <laughs> but that's our, we're prone to that, aren't we? We're prone to think that as we mature physically or we grow in age, that all of a sudden, that, that the things, we look back on our lives, we go, I didn't know anything then, but I know everything now. And we, we, it just continues to happen that way over the course of our lives. And so what God has done out of His grace is baby-proofed prayer to protect us from our own immaturity, whether we're four or we're 40. So pray, church, with humility. With humility. Recognizing that not only does God know everything, but He's also wise. He's also wise. And so listen, this morning, I I just want to say, ask Him. Bring your needs before Him. But recognize that good parents, and those of you who are parents, you know this. Listen, good parents can always distinguish between the need and the child's assessment of the need. You know what I'm saying? They can distinguish between the need and the child's interpretation or the assessment of the need. It's like my seven-year-old coming to me and saying, Daddy, I want to learn to drive. Can we get in your truck out there in the driveway and take it around the block? It'll be all right. Right? That's a need. That might be a legitimate need that she has when she's 16, but not when she's six. 
And sometimes God said, God knows the difference. He has the wisdom to know the difference, the discernment to know the difference about when there might be a legitimate need, but when it's just not time to introduce that. So pray with humility, pray with confidence, pray with perspective, but pray and ask Him. And you might be surprised at just the level of intimacy and the level of awe and the relationship and the partnership that would develop as day after day you just show up and you do the workout that your coach has given you to do. Let's pray. And Father, this morning, would you grant us wisdom from your all-wise and loving heart? Would you grant us perspective and center our lives around you so that we might find that our prayers are different or at least the things that we're praying for, we're still praying for them, but differently. And Father, would you give us confidence and assurance to know that the path has been paved for us by the blood of your Son so that we might come into your presence with confidence and draw near to your throne of grace and find help in our time of need. For some of us in the room, Father, it is physical provision that we're asking for. For some of us, it really is bread on our table. It really is food in our bellies. It really is perhaps even a shelter over our heads. It really is clothing on our backs. It really is basic physical necessities. But God, for some of us, it is endurance in the face of hardship. For some of us, it is wisdom as we make decisions. For some of us, our need right now is spiritual more than it is anything else in our lives, to have our perspective reframed, that we might begin to pray prayers that will matter not only today, but a million years from now in eternity. So help us to pray humbly and help us to pray with your perspective and with great confidence. To know there is nothing too small and nothing too big to bring to you in prayer.